our lives. We thank you that Christ lives within us, that God, you are not distant. Not on you only are you with us, but you are within us. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And as you live within us, you are bringing to our very lives the righteousness, the rightness, the goodness of God. And Lord, we pray that our lives would flourish in that righteousness of Christ in us. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we pray, Lord, that you would open it to us in a way that changes and transforms our lives. May the Spirit of God strengthen us and help us not just to understand the word, but to put it into practice, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And thank you to the worship team for leading us this morning. Now, last week, uh, Shelley was preaching, and uh, we kind of focus on one word each week in this series that we've talked about, about the big picture, looking through the whole of Scripture and trying to retell the story of God um, from beginning in the Garden of Eden right the way through to the end of time and what is it that God is doing. And last week, the word that we were focusing on that Shelley spoke to us about was the word turn. Turn. Turn from one way and turn instead to God. Turn from your own way and turn to God. And in that um, sermon last week, we were reminded about the fact that the people of God forgot God. They ignored Him. They rejected Him. They rebelled against Him. Even though He had given them so much and done so much, there had been, first of all, this turning away from the God who had given everything to them and for them. What God had done, what God had said, what He'd given, how He'd blessed them. But they turned their back on God and His ways, and they turned away from Him. And instead, they turned to idols and injustices and hatred and self-indulgence and rebellion and deception. And God said, listen, let me warn you, if this keeps on being the pattern of your living, that you turn away from my ways and you do your own thing, if you continue to follow the ways of idols and injustice and hatred and self-indulgence and deception and rebellion, I will warn you, there will be consequences. And the sad part of the story, and this is the part of the story of humanity, along with the story of God, is that there is sorrow because they choose not to turn. They choose not to turn from their own ways. They choose not to turn back to God. And in spite of all the warnings that they've received, they still refuse to turn. And so the consequences of the warning begin to unfold. And so I wanted to read a, a passage from Jeremiah 25, which kind of outlines what those consequences were. So this is the prophet Jeremiah speaking to the people about what God has already spoken. The word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the last year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now, I always read those bits just to let you know, this is, this is located in history. These are people that we might not know their names and we might not use many of them today, but they're located in ancient history. 
so that you know that this is real. Verse 2, so Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and to all those living in Jerusalem, for 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I've spoken to you again and again. And then this really sad verse, but you haven't listened. 23 years. 23 years God has been warning, but you have not listened. And though the Lord has sent all of his servants, the prophets to you again and again, here it is again, you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your ancestors forever and ever. They said, listen, if you turn, 23 years, if you turn, then you'll be able to live in the land and enjoy my blessing forever. Do not follow other gods to serve or worship them. Don't arouse my anger with what your hands have made. They made idols and worshipped them instead of God. Then I'll not harm you. But you didn't listen to me, declares the Lord. And you have aroused my anger and what your hands have made. And you have brought harm to yourselves. They'd even brought destruction on themselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this. Because you've not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I'll bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. And I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bridge and bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp, this whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Nobody likes to read these words in the Bible. We'd all rather skirt over them because we love the stuff about God's love and God's righteousness and God's blessing. But all of that has conditions to it. And when we don't adhere to the conditions, destruction comes and God must intervene. And we can't ignore these parts of the Bible. And this story or this prophecy, this declaration from God is what in the story of God we call the exile. The people of God were taken into exile, out of their land that God had given them, that God had blessed them with, that they were supposed to live with God in, in faithfulness and worship and thankfulness, following His ways. All of that was given to them in the land that they were possessing. But they no longer were following Him in His ways. And so God warned them and 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 warned them, and yet they would not turn. And He said, well, I said, you, you've walked completely the other way. I warned you, and the consequences will unfold, and the people of God were taken into exile. Now, here's what's happened in these times. The, the people of God had put up so many barriers between themselves and God and refused to remove them in spite of the warnings. 
and they'd swapped God's ways for their own ways. And what had happened over the years is that they no longer resembled the people of God. God had made them to become a people who would resemble God and His ways. But they no longer honored His name, they no longer honored one another, and they no longer resembled His people. They were not fulfilling their part of the covenant. Remember we spoke about that a few weeks ago, the relationship, the partnership between God and humanity. They'd forgotten who they were. And God would therefore have to strip everything back from them. The blessings, the land, the temple, the idols, their self-determined ways. He would have to strip all of that back so that they might rediscover and remember who they truly are and who their God is. Everything they had been given by God that made them who they were, God's people, had now been warped or tarnished or distorted or stolen from God and given to another God or idol for their own selfish purposes. And they were descending and spiraling downwards into what I can best describe as self-indulgent chaos that was destroying the good that God wanted to give them. And although to our ears, this passage that we just read in Jeremiah sounds like an angry parent harshly disciplining his children. In every way, this act of judgment is actually an act of mercy. It's for their own good. And it's for the good of their relationship with God or the lack of relationship with God that now exists. And it's for the good of the nations. Do you remember when we spoke about covenant? We said, you know, God said, I will bless you so that you might bless the nations. Well, they weren't even living in the blessing of God. So how could they possibly bless the nations and others? Well, they couldn't. And the big picture for God is that he wants to bless the nations. He said, well, if my nation can't even live within the blessing, then we'll have to have some intervention that will help them rediscover who I am and who they are. And the only way to do that is to strip back all the stuff that has separated and taken them on this downward spiral of destruction. And so God gave them the divine equivalent of time out. Any parents ever used time out? Where you have to strike it. There's some vigorously threw their hands up in the air there. But that time where we, we need to take them out and take everything from them that they might for a moment remember. And in some ways it had become so bad for God that he said there needs to be time out for this nation. And it wasn't a short period, 70 years. They would be removed from all that God had given them. And so between about 750 B.C., and 590 BC, both the northern and southern kingdoms 
all of God's people would be led out of their homeland into a foreign land under a foreign rule and into exile where they would have nothing except that which their captives or cap those who've taken them captive would give them. And they would learn in that place, bizarrely, what it meant to trust and love and know and obey God. Now let me come back again to the story of God. God's heart, God's passion, God's desire is that he wants all of creation, all humanity, not just one nation, not just the people of God, not just the church, but he wants to redeem and, and welcome the whole of humanity back to himself. But he started with his people, with whom he made a covenant. And when they deviate from God's big picture plan of love and grace for all, well, what are his options? I mean, what does God do when the people that he said, I'm going to bless you so you can bless the nations so that all humanity can come back to me? What, is, what are God's choices? When that nation then ignore him, rebel from him, go their own way, become self-indulgent, and don't even bless themselves, never mind anyone else. What are God's choices? Well, I reckon there are two choices that God has of what he could do. The first one would be he could reject them. Right, just reject them. What a useless bunch. Never do anything. 23 years I've been warning them. And they weren't that, that good before the 23 years either. And so he could just reject them. But remember, God had made a promise. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And so he's not going to reject them because God is faithful to his promises. Now, God doesn't reject us. But neither will he put up with our self-indulgent ways. He cannot and he will not. But he will not reject us. Alternatively, if he wasn't going to reject us, so he can't do that because he promised he wouldn't, well, he could go and find another group of people and say, well, let's go and find another lesson. Let's go to Ecuador. <laughs> I don't know why Ecuador. I just thought about Ecuador. And let's choose the Ecuadorians and maybe they'll have a better chance. Because the likelihood is humans are humans and they would probably do the same thing as the Israelites had done. And so much as it breaks God's heart, sometimes he has to strip back and even lay bare our lives so that we can rediscover God again and ourselves. And in our lives, it is not unusual for us to put all kinds of things and hold on to all kinds of things in our life and accumulate all kinds of things for our own ways and our own self-indulgent ways, so much so that we exclude God. And we no longer live in his blessing and we can no longer bless others with God's blessing. And what is God to do? He's not going to reject us, go and look for another people, but he may have to strip us of all those things that we've put in his way so that we can discover him and ourselves all over again. Sadly, in all these years of pastoral ministry, the truth is that often 
It's not until people are faced with crisis that they recognize again who God is and who they are and how much they need them. And then they return to God and to the place they belong. They return home again. But God warns us again and again and again. Don't keep walking in those self-indulgent ways because they'll end in chaos and disaster and destruction. And when we don't, there'll come a point where we'll almost have to be stripped of those things. Why? Because God knows it's best for us to return home to Him. And so sometimes when people talk to me in ways that sounds like they're in exile from God's home, immediately begin to think, well, are there some things that are in our life that we've put before God that he's led us into a place of exile so that we can lose those things again and return home to him? And perhaps for some of us, if we feel as if we're not quite in that place of knowing or being close to God or if we feel as if blessing is not there, Ask yourself, well, what have I put in place of God in my life? What keeps them out? Maybe God needs to remove some of those things. Some of you have seen this advert uh, recently on uh, the screens. Um, it's me that's doing this, isn't it? Yeah. If you were born in one place, grew up in another, but now live somewhere completely different, where are you from? Tricky one. Perhaps a better question is not where are you from, from, but where do you feel at home? Where do you feel at home? You know, there's always a danger that if we're not careful in our Christian life, we'll begin to feel at home more away from God than with God. We'll begin to feel more at home in what we might call the world than what we call the kingdom of God. We become too comfortable outside and away from God. Where do you feel at home? And for the people of God, for us as the church, as Christians and the people of God, this is a really important question. It was important for the Israelites. It's important for us. They were being exiled from their home. They were now going to be in Babylon, a foreign nation under foreign rule and they would long for home but what is home what made home home for the israelites and what makes home home for us as the people of god for the israelites home was not just the land they lived in or the temple they worshiped in because it was there it wasn't just the family ties or their neighbors, what they did or what they didn't do. When God led his people into Canaan, a land that was filled with milk and honey, that's what the Bible says, I'll lead you into a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, kind of an image that carries a whiff of the Garden of Eden. Yeah, I'm going to take you to a land that's going to be like the Garden of Eden. There's blessing there kind of a hope and a sign of 
God's blessing to them. It was home. Why? It was home for the people of God because God walked with them. Not because of the streams and the hills and uh, the mountains and the valleys and the grass and the honey and all of that. It was home because God was with them. And they were with God. He would be their God. They would be his people. But they no longer walked with him. He invited them as they went to the homeland of Canaan to walk with them, to live with them, to know his presence, to follow his ways, to love and trust him. And then they would know what it is to belong to God. It was their relationship with God that determined their sense of belonging and the place called home. And that included the place and the way that they lived. You know, when we belong to a place, whether we love it or not, there are expectations about how we should live in that place, what we should and shouldn't do. There are laws and, and rules to be followed. There's values to be upheld. And when we don't, then we expect that there are consequences. Our citizenship, our belonging in a place, in a particular place, has both privileges and responsibilities. Now, this is my passport. And my passport, in many ways, it says a number of things, but it says two things about me. First of all, it says, this is the country in which I belong, e either by birth or by choice, and in my case, by both. This is where I belong. It's, it's my country. It's where I live. It's a place that provides me safety and sanctuary and security. Even when I go to a foreign country overseas, in most of them, they'll have a place I can go that's like home. And there I'll find some safety and security and sanctuary. But it's also the place that has authority over my life. I must live by the law of the land here. And if I don't, then there are consequences. I'm a citizen of the UK, and I'm expected to fulfill the responsibilities of my citizenship. My place of belonging has both privileges but also responsibilities. And I can't choose one. You know, I'll take all the privileges and ignore the other. Okay, I don't want any responsibilities. Well, similarly, in the kingdom of God, there are privileges, blessings, but also responsibilities. And you can't have one without the other. And sometimes the problem is that we want all the blessings and the privileges but thanks, I'd rather not have the responsibilities. And that's what had happened with the people of God. I will take every blessing you want to give us, God, but in terms of responsibilities, we'd rather do our own thing, but keep sending the blessing. But we cannot be citizens in the kingdom of God and expect only to get the privileges and blessings if we're not fulfilling the responsibilities of the ways that God has called us to live in. My place of belonging has both privileges and responsibilities, and I can't choose one and disregard the other. 
So here's the challenge for the people of God, including me. Which kingdom am I truly part of? Where is my first place of allegiance and responsibility? Where is my first place of belonging? Where is my true home and identity? Where do I really belong? This is a matter not just of belonging, but of identity for the people of God. My, my passport says I'm British, but my faith says I'm God's. I belong to God. My parents gave me a home, but it was God who gave me a life. The registrar gave me a birth certificate, but God knew me before time began. To whom do I belong? I belong to God before anything and anyone else. I'm God's. To whom do we belong? We're God's. We belong to Him with both its privileges, blessings, but also its responsibilities. This is what Paul calls in the New Testament when he says our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to God. We live in His ways. We take on His blessings and privileges, but also the responsibilities of living in His ways. And in truth, sometimes God's ways and those responsibilities of our citizenship in heaven bring us into sharp contrast and conflict with our earthly citizenship. You ever experienced that? Where the ways that and the expectations of the world around us conflict with the ways that God is asking us to live in our citizenship in heaven. But I belong to God first. And whatever is normal for the citizenship of this world are not necessarily normal for the citizens of heaven and citizenship with God. There are things that our culture has become comfortable with that conflict with the ways of God. There are injustices that are way out of alignment with God's righteousness and justice, but yet they remain unchallenged. Ways and practices of doing things that remain unchallenged. There are divisions and inequalities that sadden the heart of God, but they've become the most normal, accepted, and expected thing. There are issues of ethics, morality, and even identity that have and are becoming so complicated and convoluted that it's difficult to keep up with it all, to understand, even to talk about it or express our opinion. Issues that seem to jar against the Bible's perspective of who we are as God's creation. I have to be honest, there are sometimes I feel like a stranger in a strange land in this world. That as a citizen of heaven and where my citizenship is with God, and then I, I live in this world here and now, and I think, I can't even understand the ways that 
Our world lives at times, and the things that we think are normal or expected are accepted. And they come into conflict and are so contrary to the ways of God. But what's even worse is that sometimes we then become more comfortable in the world's ways and their norms and their expectations than in God's ways so that we don't even feel conflicted. And that's a dangerous place to be because God will probably take you and us into exile and maybe have to strip from things of us so that we can discover again who he is and who we are as his children. It's easy to be squeezed into the mold of the surrounding culture, to take on their ways and perspectives, but that's not what it means to be the people belonging to God. Our ways, our perspectives are shaped by God even when they bring us into conflict with the world around us. Our ways are shaped by God, which we then represent in our world, even when it's uncomfortable. We cannot become comfortable or squeezed into the mold of the culture around us. So what would happen now as the people of God are taken into exile in this strange land? They had moved from Canaan, God's land for them, to Babylon, ruled by the enemy. Well, I want to say a few things as I finish. First of all, even in exile, their identity is still the people of God. God does not reject them. He has to lead them out of the promised land into exile so they can discover again. And the amazing thing is, they do discover again and they can't wait to get back to the land and to be with God in these new ways. But it would take them exile. But their identity was still that they are the people of God. They just needed to rediscover God and who they were all over again. That belonging and that relationship with God, that's what makes us who we are. And then secondly, not just about their identity, but about God's proximity. God was still faithful to them. He was already promising and planning their return to their land. I love these verses in Ezekiel. For I will take you out of the nations. This is a, a, a prophecy while they were in exile. I'll take you out of the nations. I'll gather you from all the countries and I'll bring you back into your own land. What a word of hope that is when we're in exile. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Let me say to you, if you are in a situation just now where it's become more comfortable for you to live in the ways of this world rather than the ways of God, God says to you, listen, there's still time to turn. And if you do, I'll sprinkle clean water on you. I'll forgive you. Just turn and return. I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Let's get rid of the idols in our lives, the stuff that puts God into second place or third place or fourth place or fifth place or tenth place. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. 
Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. What is that saying? It is God saying, I want to be close with you. I don't want to be distant from you and I don't want you to be distant from me. God wants to be in close proximity to us and with us. But sometimes he has to lead us into exile because there's too many other things in the way that have pushed and are pushing God out. But he wants to be in close proximity. And he remained with them, even though they were now in a strange land, and he kept speaking to them. He continued to speak with them and call to them and call them back to himself so that they might remember again who God is and who they were. God is not restricted by borders and boundaries. And then also, he wanted them to do something while they were in this enemy-occupied world, when they were in Babylon. Here's what Jeremiah 29, 7 says. This is when they were in Babylon, in the land where the rulers had taken them from Canaan and brought them in to Babylon. So basically, they're oppressors, they're enemies. This is what God says through Jeremiah. See, while you're there, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. What was God saying? Listen, even when you're in a foreign overseas land, even when you're under the oppression of the enemy, have I not called you to be a blessing to the nations? We've got to be a blessing to the nations. And so in this land that was not their own, when their enemy had taken them there, God still said and whispered to them, see, while you're there, pray for the blessing and prosperity of that nation that they might know the blessing of God as well. Basically, they were blessing their oppressor. What did Jesus say? Not just love your neighbor, but love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Wow. That's tough to do. And we can't do it unless we're in close proximity and relationship with God. Who gives us the strength to do so? And so for us, for us as we think about who we are as the people of God, God's always telling us to turn because he doesn't want to have to lead us into exile. And so here's what we always have to discover about who we are as the people of God. Whoever you are, whether you feel as if you're in exile or whether you think you're right in the middle of God's blessings and you're close to him, is that we are God's children. John 1, 12 and 13 says, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. If you're in Christ today, be assured you are a child of God. Now live like it. Live like a child of God, not a child of this world. You're a child of God. That's your identity. This is who we belong to. This is who is our good father. We are citizens of heaven. Our allegiance and our trust are to God. Actually, we are strangers in a strange land, but we're here representing the goodness of God that we might bless the nations identity, and then proximity. God is with us. God is with you now by the Holy Spirit. 
in Christ and the Holy Spirit, proximity to God has now become intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. That's what we need to foster. We are children of God, but we need to live as children of God and foster that intimacy and closeness with God, that the Spirit of God will fill us. His love is being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. His Spirit gives you power to live and grace to live as strangers in a strange land so that when we come into conflict or contradiction with the world around us, we won't find ourselves being squeezed into the mold of that world. But by grace and in the power of God and the love of God, by the Spirit within us, He's close to us. Foster that intimacy and close proximity to God. Identity, proximity. And then for us also, the way we live as the children of God is that our activity, we too are called to pray and act and live in ways that bless the land we're in, however strange. So in those times in my life when I feel like a stranger in a strange land because my citizenship with God in heaven feels very different from the way of the world, I need to pray for the way of the world, not give in to it. I need to pray for our world, pray for its blessing and its prosperity, but pray for it to return to its maker. We're called to bless even our enemies, however strange it might seem. Interestingly, when the people of God were there, they were like wandering refugees. Bizarrely, that's where they discovered who God was and who they were all over again, as wandering refugees. Our, our story, our history, our heritage as the people of God is as refugees. Which is why when refugees come to our country, whatever the reasons are, we say welcome. How can we love and bless them while they're here? Whatever the politics are of it. As the people of God, we have a story of being refugees. And so when refugees arrive in the doorstep of our church, we say, welcome. How can we help you? How can we love you? Our response, therefore, to those around us is how can we bless them? Even if that means that our love is not just for our neighbor, but for our enemy. And so, people of God, let's not live in exile pretending that we're living in blessing. But let's make sure there's nothing that is squeezing us into the mold of this world so we become so comfortable with things that God is not comfortable with because we'll end up in exile from God. But rather, let's heed the words that we heard last week and return to God. And if you feel you're in exile... Well, probably God is trying to get your attention and say, return to me. Deal with the stuff that's in the way. I want to gather you from where you are and bring you back home again and sprinkle you with clean water. I don't know why I do that when I talk about sprinkling with clean water. But anyway, sprinkle you with clean water. Make you clean. Renew your heart and your spirit and welcome you home. Don't be in exile, people of God. Let's live in and with God and under his blessing. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Father, we thank you that even in times in the scriptures when we read 
about difficult passages where it seems you're leading the people of God into difficulty and struggle and we don't know how to deal with them, that it's always an act of mercy to bring us back to you. And so, Lord, even the difficult places in our life, Lord, if we could see them differently, they're places where you're trying to bring us back to you because it is close to you that we truly live our life. So, Lord, we repent this morning if we've wandered away and we find ourselves distant, away from you, God, forgive us. Help us heed the words of last week and this week. May we not live in the ways of a foreign world, exiled from God. But bring us home, Lord. We're citizens of heaven. We belong to you to live out your ways. And so, Lord, deliver us from exile and draw us home. In Jesus' name.